This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Normally, I've got something prepared-ish, prepared-ish, like there'll be a thought that's come into my head... And I'll go like, oh, Shag, here's a little funny old thought that might spark off a conversation. All other thoughts have fallen out of my head because we are recording in the past. We are back in the distant past. Today is the day the Matildas are playing England in the semifinals. You listening know if they won or lost. We don't. The past is a crazy, crazy place. Fucking the Matildas might have won the World Cup at the time you're listening to this. Time travel is mad. Shag, how does it feel being back in the distant past? It feels really weird. Now that you've pointed that out, it's crazy mm. to think that you listening now know so much more about the world than we do <sighs> in our primitive, weeks-old world that we're living in right now. <laughs> I wonder which of our like archaic beliefs or like ancient weird <laughs> traditions <laughs> have been overturned between, between now and the time you're listening to this. Um, but I think Shag's going to expand the conversation to another uh, Neanderthal who, back with us in the distant past, is just hanging around before before the new iPhone came out or whatever it is that's <laughs> happened that's, you know, attached to our brains and um, and all that sort of uh, thing. A, a few things have happened. And we do also have a guest on today, but we're going to get there. But mm. before we mm. get there, it's really important to note, because if you're not listening to this in Australia, just how yeah. powerfully... The Women's Soccer World Cup has just taken over. Like, it is oh. it is everywhere. And Peach mentioned the Matildas. That is the name of our national women's soccer team, which mm. is named after a song which you might have heard of called Waltzing Matilda, which is very spooko adjacent because it's about, uh, like, a drifter who steals a sheep and instead of giving it back, decides to kill himself by jumping into a lake and then haunts the lake. And the whole song is just, that's, that's what it's about. And that's what our national soccer team's named after, which feels very appropriate for this show. But we're, we're, like, we are gripped in mm. World Cup fever right now because generally, like, Australia is a small country. Sometimes we do well in, like, esoteric sports like swimming. Cricket. Yeah, cricket. Like, rugby yep. union, things like that. Although I don't <laughs> think we're doing well in rugby union. No, we stink there now. But but somehow, all of a sudden, we're doing well in soccer. And honestly, it feels like the entire country has gotten behind it. All my fair weather fans stand up. The weather's really fair over here. I have known about the various uh, team members of the Matildas for two or three weeks now. And I'm deeply committed. I'm sure it will last forever. Fair weather fans, unite. Let's fucking But this go. is where it gets wild, right? Because... Whoever you are, wherever you're listening, the time you're listening right now, you know whether the Matildas made it to the finals and then eventually beat Spain to win or we're all of a sudden just not talking about soccer anymore because we lost and that sucks. But but to help us get through this this dark past Mm. is a returning guest to Spooko 
who, mm. speaking of just things changing, has added so mm. many more strings to her bow since mm. the last time we chatted. We know her as a presenter on FBI Radio, which is a radio station that is why Spooko exists, a Sydney community radio station, you know, really punches above its weight for creating mm. Sydney and Australian culture. She's now also a presenter on Triple J, which is kind of an anomaly worldwide, which is a youth radio station, a national youth radio station paid for by the government in which she speaks to hundreds of thousands of people every day saying weird Ruby jokes and uh, playing <laughs> sick music. She's also currently helping curate the music lineup for the inaugural South by Southwest, which is happening in Sydney this year. Best Mario Kart player ever to appear on the pod. A really good Mario Kart player as well. Talking, Talk about punching above her weight in terms of culture. Please welcome back to Spooko, Ruby Miles. Yes! And I can't believe the Matildas won the World Cup. Oh, that was so exciting. <laughs> Wasn't it great when they when they scored all those goals and all the other teams got no goals? Oh, that, those other teams must feel so bad right now, reflecting on the past. Honestly. <laughs> I mean, oh. what like what do you feel? Do you uh, like if they win? Did we? If they won, yep. If, if, they, if won, they won, did we? Once did they won, did we? Are we jinxing it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I believe a wholeheartedly in like chaos theory and stuff, but us saying mm. whether they win or lose is going to have some tiny effect on whether they win or lose. And if they did win or lose, did we have any effect on it just by talking about it right now? I'm not sure. Well, I saw that the psychic turtle said that Australia is going to win. Um, I mean, well, there it is. That's it. So, like, if a turtle can call it, I'm I'm happy to call it. Well, there's, like, the way Australians deal with sporting insecurity is really interesting as well because we are not really good sports. We only really like victory. (laughs) So the Matildas were shit 18 months ago when they dropped to, like, 12th Mm. in the rankings from 4th or whatever. And now they're great because they're beating highly ranked teams. And um, the analogy in cricket is, like, when you're training at cricket and you're batting and you play badly, you go, fuck, that was a shit shot. And you get furious with yourself. And what you're trying to communicate is, and this is an idea stolen from a great cricket podcast, The Great Cricketer. What you're trying to communicate is my standards are really high. Mm. My standards are high. I expect more from myself and others than I've just delivered. And so when you have these magical moments where like Australia's deep insecurities just sort of go on display where it's like, yes, finally, we're winning something. Like what we care about is winning. It's just a real nation uniting type experience. The welcome to country at Brisbane, like I'm sure we're all like still slightly moved by. Um, it's mobilized the nation so much that I did an Instagram story of like, hey, I am at the game against Denmark. And then Shag replied to my Instagram story of like, hey, I am too. And so your two Spooko regular co-hosts were at the same Matildas game um, without even knowing and setting it up. Ruby, how have the Matildas, how did the Matildas <laughs> in the past get under your skin now that, now, that, now, now that we find ourselves here in the distant past? I mean, you mentioned before like fair weather fans. I think I never really had an interest in football. Um, and then I kind of happened on the semifinal, uh, the quarterfinals by chance. Um, I was like pretty tired, but my friends were like, oh, we're all going to the pub. And then when I was there, I realized how serious it was. And, um, that game was famously like the most nerve wracking 
five hours. <laughs> How long was that game? <laughs> Felt like it went for eternity. Um, but yeah, basically, I think I like turned to my boyfriend and I was just like, this is the hardest I've ever like jumped on a bandwagon in my life. Like, <laughs> I, I just completely pivoted. I was just there memorizing everyone's names. And then when I got home, my entire TikTok feed was fan edits. Yes. <laughs> Of Matilda's. The algorithm knows. Yeah. It's so good. The algorithm knows that Mary Fowler's the best. Exactly. A, a name that I will probably, like, not remember at the time that I'm listening back to this episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, um, I'm a Mackenzie Arnold fan through and through as of uh, six days ago. It's <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, it's Saturday. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Mackenzie forever as of Saturday. Yes. I mean, this, this, this opening to this episode is going to be a strange time capsule if – we're not successful and Australia, like <laughs> Australia does, goes on to like nothing happened if our sporting team all of a sudden doesn't make it as far as we'd hoped they would. But, um, you know, speaking of predictions, I'm, we mm. mentioned at the start that uh, Ruby, currently you're helping curate the first South by Southwest, the music side of things. South by Southwest famously is about like showing like the future of advertising and tech and whatever. Like, are you trying to show what the future of music is going to look like in the artists you're picking? Oh, I want to give a really succinct answer. Like, I think, yeah. Um, I think we're noting our position in the world like globally because they wanted to make a Southern Hemisphere version of the Austin one. So we're like, how do we make ourselves different? Obviously, we're so close to the Asia-Pacific region and so – we do have like a little bit more of a focus on that. Like we want to get festival bookers from Asia to come and see some artists. And we've got a lot of Asian artists that are coming. Um, yeah, me and my like programming partner, we're very interested in the future of music. I think it's funny because Australia has such a like insular music scene that we're really curious how certain genres do on an international scale, you know, what bites will get where, but yeah, definitely looking at the future, definitely trying to break out of some uh, cycles that the Australian music industry tends to have and give people some more opportunities. So not heaps of like private school educated or boy band singing about living in share houses. Look, that's definitely one of our biggest challenges. I had to listen to like 2,000 applications and um, <laughs> there's a lot of that. <laughs> um, you know, like... That does really well in Australia. Um, but, yeah, that is definitely what I'm referring to in the I'm really curious to see how that does on an international stage. But, yeah, we definitely want some diversity. We want some other <laughs> Australians to give it a crack. Maybe some other experiences would be nice. Ruby, it's so amazing hearing you be diplomatic. I'm going to keep digging yeah. in. Is AI at all playing like a role in music and in the music you're programming and the music talks you're talking about? Um, yeah, I think we are doing some stuff with AI. I know we initially wanted to have like a showcase that was just AI music, but I think that one fell through. Um, we've got, a, <laughs> we've got like a billion moving parts where like things pop up and lots of ideas, but we do have somewhere, someone on our like tech and innovation team that is obsessed with AI and, 
AI with music. Well, as it's the distant past, I'm just concerned that any discussions of AI are going to sound like we're talking about an Alexa skill or we're talking about an NFT <laughs> no, or crypto or something. We're talking about NFTs. What is so that? So let's not say how, how, like, Ruby, just, just to, like, manage your own risk because, you, like, you're the, you're the face of this thing. Maybe there'll be AI involved mm. in future incarnations or maybe it'll be, like, the cannabis industry that's just about to blow up hugely or, like, flipping real estate or something. Mm. Um, yeah, because we don't all need a PDF of a monkey that costs $200,000 and there's just a lot of people retracting things. Yeah, maybe AI <laughs> um, is dead. Even back here in the past, yeah. Oh, there's, there's <laughs> terrible stories of NFTs. God, we could go there. But even then, like, maybe two weeks in the future, NFTs are really valuable. Oh, again. NFTs so are back. Let, let's not talk about that. But the reason, the reason I went down this path, and one of the reasons we yeah. wanted you for this particular movie is because this movie is about predicting the future, I guess. This movie is one of the, I, I think, the first of a whole bunch of horror films we're going to see really soon where AI kind of becomes the bad guy. But also, Ruby, because you've always been such a, I guess, like a a social expert, this is a movie that before it even was released became, I mean, according to Variety magazine, I don't know how much, how far I can trust Variety magazine, but before it was even released, the protagonist or antagonist of this film became a gay icon. So... It's, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about a film that today, Peach, we're going to be covering the 2022 science fiction horror film, which Ruby, do you pronounce as me Thregan or M Thregan? <laughs> I, I said M Thregan. <laughs> I kind of like me Thregan. Today we're doing, or, or, or as everyone in the film calls it, Megan. Megan to me has always felt like double G. Like it's always felt like M E double G A N. Let's go get it. Yeah, I think this is a very Australian thing where we say Megan, um, but Americans say Megan. Yeah, we say Megan. But, you know, there's Megan Markle. You know, she's a big famous Megan. Megan Markle. Oh. Just putting on my Ocker accent. What does she say? <laughs> I'm married to a prince. Oh, he was a prince. <laughs> Katie, you lost your parents. Welcome home. You're my niece. I'm going to do everything I can to make this place feel like home. I just wish I could see them again. Ever since I was little, I dreamed of this perfect toy that would protect a kid from ever feeling lonely or sad. This is Megan. Hi, Megan. I'm Katie. It's nice to meet you, Katie. Do you want to hang out? Okay. Megan, your goal is to protect Katie from harm, both physical and emotional. Is that a doll? Model 3 generative android. Megan, for short. I can't believe you made this. I love it. Wanna hang out, yeah, sounds like fun. Great job. It's nice to have a friend. It's honestly like she's part of the family now. They could be building emotional connections that are too hard to untangle. She's the happiest she's been since her parents died. Eat the toppings, Katie. Research shows if you force a child to eat vegetables, they'll be less likely to choose those foods as adults. Is that so? Yes. Experts say... Megan, turn off. Does she talk? Make her say something. Stop! Don't! Megan! You should probably run. Megan, she pushed Brandon onto the road. I won't let anything harm you. It's nice to 
Mega, turn off. Recalibrating response model. <laughs> Megan! What's wrong with you? Don't worry, Katie. I won't let anything harm you. Ever again. I was spoken before about me having a Drake syllabus. People, oh, I don't like Drake. Yes, yes, fine, fucking blah, blah, blah. Have you heard 5am in Toronto? No, I haven't. He's like, blah, whatever, wind read. Okay, go listen to 5am in Toronto and come back, right? Like, And, of course, 5am in Toronto gets 95% of the job done first up, and then you just sort of pick, you know, selectively out of nothing was the same, and, and you, you know, you've got them there by the end. I feel like Megan could be the fucking scaredy cat unlock. I watched that trailer and I'm like, oh, yes, let's fucking go get it. Ruby, you're nodding away. What do you reckon? Well, I feel like every spooko I've ever been on, I've been the peach. And today's the day that I get to be the shag. Yes. Because I saw this movie. Yes. Yes. Ruby, we did it. You did it. I haven't done it, but you done did it. When did you see it and what did you think about it? Okay, I went to the early premiere. Like, I went to the advanced screening of it in cinemas in the city. Um, and I remember, like, kind of notes on your variety comment. It was me and, like, just small pockets of gay men. Um, <laughs> and that was, that was it. <laughs> there was um, one group of people in front of me uh, that kind of that didn't really fit into that demographic and one of the guys was on a like uni zoom lecture like he had his laptop open oh amazing and like was in the lecture with his screen blanked out and i remember i filmed it because he didn't like drop out of the lecture until literally the megan title popped up like he watched all of the trailers everything and i was like get off your zoom man it's happening (laughs) (laughs) oh so good but it was very iconic it felt like um it it felt like i was yeah a part of culture it felt like a a cinema event like it was essential for me to be there with like just 12 other people in the room and we will get into it but there's some very key very like slay parts of the movie that had everyone in the theater like Screaming with delight, basically. <laughs> it's a real Matilda's moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's so, so it's exciting. I think that's such a good point, right? Like it's 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 a successful horror film, but more than that, it was part of culture. And I think mainly because in the trailer, Megan, 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 the the robot mm. does this dance. Did you recognize that dance at all? Was that like an original Megan dance, or was she just like yeah. co-opting something else? Firstly, I'd just like to say that I. Couldn't have dreamt for this movie to be assigned to my Spooko episode. This is the best day of my life because <laughs> I've been wanting. To, yes. I could talk about this. I could write an essay oh, on this movie. Sick, sick, yes. um, sick. I think the dance was intended to look like a viral TikTok dance, but it was made just for Megan. Like it, it wasn't referencing anything. It was just referencing like viral, like kind of as in. There's kind of a point in the movie where. She's teaching the dance to the little girl and they're kind of learning it. So it's meant to have a viral sort of feel to it. 
which hilariously isn't actually in the film. She does the dance in the film, but she doesn't teach the little girl the dance in the film, which is just goes to show how trailers truly are the greatest genre form in the 21st century. They're the best form of media. Easy. <laughs> so we're going to be recapping Megan from 2022. A few cool things about this film before we get into it. It was written by Akela Cooper. Speaking of people who have like an outsized influence on culture, she's like a, like not a relatively new, but a relatively new horror film screenwriter. Her first horror film, it's called like Hellfest or Hellbound or something, came out in 2018. But she also wrote Malignant, which maybe has my favorite oh, okay. new bad guy in like horror history. The idea of like it being a conjoined twin who's kind of just a tumor that lives under your hair. But then when you fall asleep, takes over your body and turns you into a monster. Like there's so many problematic. Have we done things. Malignant? We've done Malignant. We did it with Will. We did it with Will Riker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I thought so. I was like, yeah, Malignant rules. Yeah, perfect, perfect film. So she followed Malignant with this film. and. It, again, like, because of the trailer, it just, like, Malignant was already a big film, but this just shot her into the stratosphere. I think within weeks of the film coming out, they'd already announced Megan 2.0, which is coming out, I think, not next year, but the year after. The Meganing. The Meganing. The Meganing. It's it's happening. (laughs) It's happening. It's happening. I think the other cool thing about this film, and to go back to what we were saying before you watched the trailer pitch, is scary dolls, scary evil dolls, aren't a new thing in horror, Mm. most notably the Child's Play series. But, of course, Chucky originally was like a a serial killer who used voodoo to haunt a doll, then updated to be like a robotic doll, which was kind of unsuccessful. I think what's cool about this one is she's a doll who uses AI to learn. In the way that, you know, we're using AI currently at the moment, like the more you interact with AI, the more you learn. Here's a toy doll that the more it interacts with its owner, the more it gets to know them and the closer their bond is, which is both that cool horror thing of, on the one hand, what a cool idea for a toy. On the other hand, what a horrific idea for an evil monster. Things taken to their logical extremes or their like horrific extremes. I mean, on one view, it is the encapsulation of what horror is about, right? Of like, Dolls, including AI, yep, I get it. Like, they probably technically already exist, or if not, are absolutely certainly imminent. And then the question is, how do we progress from there? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the appeal to me was that it seemed like a really straightforward plot. Like, it it seemed like, I was like, oh, this is a scary doll movie. This is like, we all think AI is scary. What happens if AI become bad? And, like, it delivers. It just just delivers in, like, the most, like, straightforward. You're like, yeah, that's what I want. And the NFT version is shit. Like, no one's one's like, what if NFTs go bad? It's like, oh, we kind of already live. What What, what if (laughs) NFTs come alive? (laughs) We're already already living in the world of what if NFTs go bad. So, okay. So, this film, 2022, has already been, like, a monster hit, made for $12 million. And to be honest, probably looks like it was made for $12 million. Managed to make $180 yeah. million back, which, sorry, I didn't mean to be so catty. Um, <laughs> so this film begins with a really cool plot device, which they use a couple of times in the film, which I think is really fun, is the idea of, like, I guess, a toy ad. And it's yes. that classic night. Like, toy ads haven't really been disrupted. Toy ads are still exactly the same. And it begins with this toy ad for kind of like a like an AI Furby 
Yep. Which which it, from the from the beginning sets this film up as a bit of a comedy. And in fact, this film for the first 50 minutes doesn't feel like a horror film until one of the most horrific deaths I've seen or at least one of the most horrific mutilations I've seen in horror films this year happens. For about 50 minutes it doesn't feel like a horror movie at all. Kicked off with this really funny ad in which it's this it's this AI Furby but it's like this girl's like, "Oh, I loved my dog, but it died." And it's like, "Well, here's this toy that's going to outlive you which is i guess a cool premise for a toy so they're trying to disrupt the pet industry rather than disrupt the toy industry it seems to me (laughs) it's like it's like we're trying to dogs dogs have had their day now we're going to get some ai furbies in there yeah okay so after we have this ad we cut to this girl katie who is in the back seat of the car driving with her parents through a snowstorm as they're heading to, I, I, I think, a hotel. And she's playing with this toy and there's all these comments about like the fact that you have to feed this toy using your iPad. Like you're playing a game on the iPad to like feed mm. it things and it goes, oh, yum, yum, and then it pretend farts and it's like, oh, berries make me fart. And it's this really funny, <laughs> weird, dumb scene. <laughs> and meanwhile, the parents are having trouble in this sno- snowstorm as they're talking, it's revealed they don't have... No tires? Chains. Yeah, they don't have chains on their tires. And there's this really great line. I read recently that something like 80% of cars in the world now are SUVs. Like, everybody just has an SUV. And the mom is like, why did you tell the guy at the front, at, you know, the front of this national park that this is a four-wheel drive? And he's like, because it looks like a four-wheel drive. And it's kind of true. It's like, every car now, <laughs> you just assume they are. And they probably just all aren't. Anyway... So they're driving, things happen. It's the classic start of either a Roald Dahl book or a horror film. They get hit by a truck and the parents die and we cut to the credits. And so the the film essentially begins with this eight-year-old Katie losing her parents in a car crash while playing with this toy. And we get out of our Zoom lecture. Yeah, I was going to say, and this is when he's... Got out of the Zoom lecture. He just wanted to get his attendance marked. And then he was like, oh, the movie's, the movie's really started now. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. You're so right. So what an iconic moment. I also want to say as well, like sometimes I think people shit on English names where they've taken a name and they fucked with the spelling. So her name is Katie, spelt C-A-D-Y. So it's not Katie, it's Katie. Mm. And I think sometimes there's, and you know, Like there's like almost like a classist undercurrent of like, oh my God, can you believe they have a name like Kaylin or whatever? But I was actually thinking about this and I was like, (laughs) I I was kind of like, how cool is is English being so fluid that you can be like, you can spell this name like 80 different ways and different people's names are spelled that way. Anyway, just a weird moment I had. Anyway, so. There's that that great bit of data from Freakonomics that like there's a real classist element about specific names that are often um, related to uh, minority populations. And they did a review of the name Unique and ironically found about like 130 different spellings of it. <laughs> there was like, you know, double O, N, double E, Q and stuff like that. There was like, and so people were finding a unique way <laughs> to name their kids Unique. So basically Katie is sent to live with her aunt Gemma who is working at a, at a toy factory called Funky. Now, Gemma is building 
I guess like she's supposed to be building a new version of their AI Furby that's cheaper, but she's actually spending all of her time developing this robot called Megan, which is a Model 3, Model 3 generation Android. That first shot of Megan, though, is actually kind of creepy, don't you reckon, Ruby? When she's sort of like hanging like a sort of Jesus sort of pose. She's basically like strung up to this like thing. So she's stretched out and um, yeah, she's like working on her and she doesn't have skin or anything yet. So it's like a creepy doll, basically a creepy robot. It is kind of cool, right? And that's really important because she becomes like this cute doll and then eventually devolves back into the scary, creepy robot quite cleverly. I think, again, I don't want to like do that thing where I set us up for failure, but this is like, Ruby, you're so right. This is such a good movie. The more the more I read through <laughs> this, the, I, I even rewatched it this weekend because this is a terrible Wikipedia synopsis. I'm really sorry. I know you guys do this for free, Wikipedia writers, but this is one of the worst synopsises I've read. So I'm glad Ruby's here and she can help us uh, get through this. I'm ready. But, 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 so uh, they're building this child-sized humanoid robot doll powered by artificial intelligence designed to be the ultimate companion while they're supposed to be spending all their time coming up with a cheaper alternative for their AI Furby because they already have, like, competitors doing rip-offs for cheaper. So that's what she was charged to do. Now, there's this scene where they're all working on Megan in her office and in comes their boss, who is played by a comedian who... I think Australia would have called him an Australian comedian. His Wikipedia, and I think he probably lists himself as either American or a Malaysian comedian. His name's Ronnie Chang. He was originally born and grew up around Malaysia and Singapore, moved to Australia, did a lot of comedy, like small-time comedy. So I don't mean to be like, I just, just did smaller comedy shows in Australia before I think pretty famously was like, I'm leaving Australia because there aren't heaps of opportunity for people who want to make like good comedy. Like, like to Ruby's point before, there's definitely a mold to be successful in a, like without, obviously I know you need to be diplomatic, but kind of what you were saying before, do you agree that there's a difference between trying to be big in Australia and just trying to be big Mm. as an artist here? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also think like we have our own culture and so it's very insular. There's like a lot of artists that I'm like, I think you would do better if you moved to the UK or America. And so I can see that happening with, there's actually a lot of Australian comedians that kind of make their pilgrimage over and uh, get booked for a ton of BBC panel shows and then we never see them again. Yeah, exactly. So Ronnie Chang was basically that, right? But it, it's just, again, it's a really interesting choice in this horror film to cast a pretty, a now pretty popular comic you know you've seen him on the daily show you've seen him in like a million movies to be the boss and he he, like he's actually he doesn't he's not necessarily a comedic character but he's pretty funny in this film anyway he comes in he's pretty like two-dimensional too like i it's funny that he took this role where it's like all you have to do is be the 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 money hungry dickhead boss (laughs) yeah and he just comes in as like well yeah we gotta come in and we gotta make the toys (laughs) cheaper and we gotta sell more toys No passion projects. Yeah, I think the other thing about this is it's like there are definitely two major streams of horror films in 2023, and it's your elevated horror, it's your A24, The Witch, Mike Flanagan, that sort of thing where, like, they're trying to make it like a more oversized, I guess, you know, cultural impact with the film. And then there's these, like, 
you know, really just leaning into the genre films. Like we mm. said, Malignant, Insidious, all of these well, films. Sissy, we spoke with Hannah about last week in the distant past. Sissy, where it's like it's not about creating the best film ever. It's creating a horror film that people who are watching in the cinema are going to want to log off of their lecture and just sort of like pay attention, (laughs) right? And it's very much that. Like the characters are like super one-dimensional and there's a whole subplot of Gemma who has to look after Katie now being a terrible like carer that just pisses as a parent actually upsets me. I'm like, like this girl just lost her parents and you are like the shittest carer ever. Like it actually pissed me off. But once I was able to separate the fact that this is just a genre movie, I was able to enjoy it a lot more. That's great casting for the adoptive parent as well. Like I don't know if girls, like speaking of cultural resonance, like have we just, just, just discarded girls like it didn't happen? Like I, I understand Lena Durham did some upsetting things and we now say girls didn't exist. Oh, no, girls is back. People love it again. Yeah. Okay. Girls, I think girls is like now now that we've had some distance behind it, we can look at it as like a really important part of culture. Um, but okay. also I think what's very iconic, I forgot, um, what's the actress's name that is the- I don't know. I just um, want to call no. her Marnie. I'm no, just no, like, no, it's no, Marnie. No. It's yeah. Alison Williams. Yeah, Alison Williams. I think that's what makes it so iconic is that she's like such a, a huge figure in a lot of women and like queer people's lives that we're like, oh my God. I also think incredibly feminist that in the year 2022, we're allowed to have a, a, a engineer that's a woman and she's also a terrible- uh, Kara. Yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, that's the, the, a really good point. Yeah, like, that's yeah, two well ticks said. for like contemporary feminism. How good is that? She has absolutely zero desire to look after this kid at all, and that's basically the premise of the movie. And and there's no subplot where she realizes she has maternal instincts. Like, li- <laughs> like even by the end of the film, she's like, I do not want to be a mother or care for Katie in any way. Like, it's yeah. it's kind of cool that there's no subplot like that. Anyway, so in comes uh, in comes the boss Ronnie Chang, who whose name's David in the film. So David comes in and he's like, "Where the fuck's my cheap Furby?" That's what I asked for. And she's like, "Well, look, this is what I've been working on. Let me show it to you." And of course, in the trial, Megan fucks up and her head catches fire, and he's basically like, "You've got a week to come up with a new Furby, or I'm like." kicking you out of the company can like can you imagine if toys were actually made like this like, <laughs> just, like people who actually make toys must look at this and be like what the fuck is it <laughs> like it's like god make me some new toys you've got a week i'm like what the fuck are you talking about like this, like this is like a seven-year-old child's idea of how people like at a toy factory work it's literally like the iphone like they're like we've got to come up with this phobie before the next company like <laughs> It's, it's life or death that this toy drops before the other toy drops so that they don't, like, get absolutely murdered in the market. Although I feel like it's very believable, I think, because, you know, you get one hot toy and that's, like, all the kids are talking about, you know? They don't want the the next best thing. They want that toy. I, I, I wonder, though, if the world's as monocultural as that these days. Like, I wonder if there is, like, I mean, well, the Matilda's moment we were in in the distant past where we're speaking from right now, I guess, is one of those rare moments of, like, we all like the same thing. But I wonder whether the Transformers moment or the Polly Pocket moment or the, or the Barbie moment or whatever is still available such that, Ronnie Chen can come in and yell at someone to say, invite me, invent me a new toy. Gah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think often 
one of the, you know, you made a really good point, Ruby, about our proximity to Asia, which is one of the most interesting things about Australian culture, how more and more we're actually going, oh, wow, Asia makes really cool entertainment too, and we can be part of it. It's really funny how often K-pop or or, or like Chinese pop or even J-pop artists tour Australia twice come out here or Itzy come out here or Esper come out here or whatever. And unless you saw the posters, if you're not in the K-pop or J-pop world, it's like, it's almost like these tours just didn't exist, even though they're playing to these like giant stadiums. Anyway, I think the other point about this scene that Peach, I wanted to ask you about, because I actually kind of thought it was like a managerial question on David, the boss's behalf. First of all, my first question was going to be like, what the fuck would you do? How would you deal with an employee who spent six months not doing the thing that you asked them to do, but in fact, just did something completely different. But number two, doesn't that look bad on you for being their boss for six yes, months and not having so any idea true. what they were doing? Yeah, exactly. Of like, I'm going to go away again for a long time and you better <laughs> have actually complied with my instructions, even though you didn't last time. It's bizarre. But what I would do is give them a copy of Kim Scott's Radical Candor and explain that you have to speak directly on one axis, axis and care personally on the other axis. And that way... We'll get the communication going. Also, the vibe of their, um, what, what what's it called? Like a lab. The vibe of their toy lab is like down in the basement. Like it's this beautiful, big, futuristic toy building. Um, but yeah, the AI, like electrical toy lab is down in the basement. So it, it's very like, very much looks like. He's never in there. And he goes, what do you mean you're making this doll? Yeah, okay. So, so like, the money the money team are upstairs and the shining, gleaming bit and the shitty nerd inventors. Fuck off back to the basement, nerds, yeah. and invent me a cheaper Furby. Yeah, okay. But also, like, it, it, you know, it, this, is, this is one of the reasons. And, again, like, it, it sounds like we're shitting on this film. We're not. It's weird the things we're taking issue with. But <laughs> this scene for me is, like, one of the reasons why we have to get rid of this idea of the genius or like the auteur yes. who does everything by themselves. Because Gemma seemingly, like, and you'll see very soon, comes up with not just one, but two, like, world-changing robots, essentially by herself with, like, two assistants who don't really do much. When I think about, it, I think it's Boston Dynamics who create those, like, believable dog robot things, who've yeah. been spending decades creating a dog robot that looks pretty shit, like, you know, yeah. 10 years ago, but now is starting to look believable. And that's, you know, hundreds of people constantly churning, coming up with this yeah. thing. So, yeah. so You can walk up the stairs now. It's like, <laughs> oh, great. So, Gemma, <laughs> so Gemma awesome. probably didn't create a believable, learning, human-passing robot child. But anyway, all of that aside, this doesn't go well. And she's now basically has been asked to create a new toy within a week, but she also has to care for Katie, who now doesn't have parents. So... There's this really depressing scene where basically she brings Katie to her house and goes, okay, well, I'm going to put your bags away and do some stuff. You just make yourself at home. And this eight-year-old, now orphan, <laughs> is basically like, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to function. I don't know what to do. And from the beginning to Ruby's point, there's, there's, no, there's no maternal mother-daughter relationship or bond developing. That's great. I love it. Yeah. I think Gemma kind of treats her as a roommate, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. And, like, the irony of her being a toy designer 
and she's like got yes. absolutely no connection with children. Yeah, whatsoever. in fact, that's a really that's a really good point. And there's this like there's this whole there's this running joke where Gemma has these like collectible toys on her shelf, and Katie goes to try and play with them, and Gemma's like, "Oh no, no, no! They're they're not to be, they're toys. They're not to be played with. They're collectibles." I feel like that joke is used, but in a really one-dimensional way, like in lots and lots of films. It does. And the adult fan of Lego and the Will Ferrell in the Lego movie or like whatever. But I feel like this is a more sophisticated use of it, of like you've got an actual toy designer with a child who's grieving and you're about to make a toy for them. You, you know, like, like the heart of the film is a toy you've made for them. That I feel like this has more sophistication than that joke when we've seen it in previous incarnations. Oh, like this is my favorite film so far. I wonder how it's going to end. So, so Gemma's like, "Look, Katie, I've got this big presentation. I need to just be doing work at home. You can just play on my iPad for a while, and then we'll go and do something." And Katie is should essentially be on suicide watch right now. Is basically like, "Okay, I'll just sit down with your iPad." But while Gemma is in her sort of garage slash home lab that's the other thing as well it's like she's a tech builder but she's also the toy designer she's also like the like she does literally everything like and this toy company is this giant building she's in the basement doing literally everything for the toys and it's completely reliant on her like it's a, it's a very large business totally reliant on her coming up with a new furby she's like writing the code and then like welding bits together and then- it's such a like putting different selecting the right wig for the doll like like literally everything really? so anyway so time it's clear that time has passed and katie has probably been just by herself in this new house by herself for like hours walks into the garage where Gemma's working and Gemma's like oh look I'm really sorry hey check this out this is what I'm working on what do you think of these new designs for this cheaper AI Furby and Katie's kind of like I'm not feeling it and Gemma's like yeah I get it but then Katie notices something else in the room and she's like what's this and Gemma's like okay well that's something else called Bruce it's a proxy robot let me show you how it works and she puts on these two like fist gloves punches them together and this robot comes alive. And as we say, it's a proxy robot that essentially you move and it moves at the same time. Again, like it's like a life-changing, world-changing piece of tech that she just has in her garage because clearly no one's yeah, like, oh, it. Bruce, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, this little prototype. Oh, forget about him. Yeah. <laughs> it is like that. It's like, and only because Katie's like, that's cool. She's like, oh, you, you think this is cool? Like, I guess it is pretty cool. I think the the best part about this film is that there's so many moments where they all but turn and wink to the camera. Like <laughs> this this scene, they're like, "Oh, there's just this giant, really strong robot in the corner of my uh, my garage." Chekhov's giant robot. Yeah, don't yeah, worry yeah. about it. It won't come back later. <laughs> and also, like, and Katie's like, "How does it work?" And this is probably the only real moment in the whole film where they bond. Because Gemma can actually talk about something that she's interested in. And like, and I don't mean to shame Gemma. It's like, look, she's clearly a very talented toy maker and robot builder. And she sort of explains all the different parts. And, you know, one of the parts is like where the brain is. It's this big microchip in the head, which again is... Chekhov's microchip. It's a bit of a wink at the audience being like, by the way, robots have a big thing in their head that if you get rid of, might be (laughs) the thing that turns off. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, basically. 
<laughs> basically, basically. Anyway, so after she finds that this is the one thing that's made Katie smile this whole time, she's like, hang on. I was onto something with Megan. I'm going to bring it back to life. Like, I think Katie has this line where she's like, oh, no, if I had a toy like that, I wouldn't need any other toys. And this is a point where... Yeah, but, like, taking taking parenting advice from an eight-year-old, <laughs> like, that's a, like, oh, of course I can have chocolate for breakfast. It's like, oh, <laughs> chocolate for breakfast, eh? Thanks for, thanks for the insights. Like, uh, yeah. I don't think we leave... Yeah. I feel like I used to use that move on my parents all the time. You know, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, if I had this toy, I don't need any other toy. Trust me. Yeah, but like, but like it didn't work. I think it's more <laughs> yeah. the point. Like, 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 you, like, you try it, but your parents were like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, tell me more, Ruby. So, and I don't know how this works because this, this all happens within the space of a week, right? Because remember, she had a week to put on this presentation while also getting her niece used to living in a new house, right? And so anyway, all of this has happened in the space of a week. She's like, I'm going to go back to the drawing board with Megan. I'm going to keep developing her and uh, I'm going to put her in this weird dress, long sleeve. Like everything about it is really strange. I guess, I guess maybe to your point, Ruby, like maybe it is a point of the fact that maybe she shouldn't be doing all these things because like, like what do you think of like, the design of Megan, like the dress, the wig, the whole, the whole like sort of setup of Megan. All I'm thinking is it's so easy to replicate for Halloween um, and drag performances, oh, well which is said. what we definitely saw afterwards. <laughs> oh, so, so sorry. So it's Megan who's the gay icon. Yeah. No, the AI robot doll is the gay yeah. icon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The girl, Fuck, the girl like- from Girls is... Like she's just like existing in life as a gay icon, um, and for being in this like ridiculous movie, she's really solidified um, herself as an icon. But no, the doll is what everybody is. Wow. A gay icon. Yeah, I think like I was trying to work out from my you know limited perspective about like what makes Megan so special, and to use a phrase I don't use often, her face, Megan's face, is always serving cunt. Like her face is just like, yeah. it's just, it's so deadpan. And even when Megan dances, her face is just like, like, it's just like, you can kind of see why people would want to emulate Megan. Mm. But anyway, so she's dressed in this like weird shit. And so Gemma prepares this presentation for David, her boss, where they're watching from behind like two-way glass, Megan and Katie interact in like a kid's playroom. And like, you know, first of all, so David's like looking pretty unimpressed. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, I came down from the <laughs> gleaming money tower to the shitty fucking basement <laughs> to watch this. <laughs> and, and then so there's this really cute moment where basically Megan comes in and she's like, hi, Katie, I'm Megan. Can I draw you a picture? And Katie's like, okay. And so Megan sits down and then draws something on a page and hands it to Katie. And Katie's like, but there's nothing here. Cut to David's face being like, oh, for fuck's sake, like this dumb doll can't get anything right. And then Megan's like, oh, I'm sorry. I I must have missed something. And then seemingly accidentally knocks over a jar of water with all the paintbrushes in it. And then the water wets the page and cut to David looking even more exasperated. Like, I can't wait to fire this whole team. And then the water reveals a perfect watercolor picture of Katie. 
Well, That's not how watercolor works, though. <laughs> yeah, but it isn't mad. invisible until activated by water. And like, is Megan in on the like? Is she briefed by Marnie the name? Like, I, I forgot Marnie's name. Of like, wait, this guy's gonna fucking flip. So you just have to you just have to look a bit shit for the start, and then bring home a huge surprise. I think she just so- like got um like swag kind of coded into her. You know, like the whole thing is she's meant to be just like super. Dazzling. It's I pretty think it's so- pretty sophisticated. It's basically like um, she wanted to invent like a Mary Poppins sort of character and also a best friend. So she's like yes. nanny vibes that like does all of these amazing things and is also like her closest friend and you can share secrets with her and that sort of thing. And, and you know, because this movie very much is about like AI goes evil, there's this undercurrent as the movie goes on of that she's learning and she's getting more sophisticated but not letting on. Do you think, like, this early on she's starting to get, like, a little bit malevolent and a little bit self-aware? No, I think, like, um, I don't really think you see it, but I feel like everybody's anticipating it, like, obviously, because we're like, this is a movie about an evil doll. (laughs) So (laughs) we're kind of just watching her so closely. I think at the start, her, um, her orders or her, her like assigned job as an AI is to like care for and protect this little girl. And so it's a real like the fine lines of that sort of situation. Um, that yeah, she's like, I just need to entertain this little girl and I need to be like everything for her. So after this, so obviously David's like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Can you package this up into a presentation we can sell to the board? And Gemma's like, yeah, I think we can. So after this, it's like, okay, cool. So uh, it, you can kind of see it's pitch. It's not a horror movie. Like, at again, the like, I don't want to get into the toy industry <laughs> too much, but like, fucking hell. <laughs> like, surely, like, the, like there are going to be regulations that relate to toys like this. Tight turnaround. Like, the, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. It's like, and and like the board, like the board are going to want to see the new product. Like, they're going to be expecting a cheaper Furby, but don't worry, we're going to show them a video of Megan being crazy. Sorry, sorry, you had a question for me. No, no, but also it's like, um, like, uh, like, yeah. Which I mean, yes, all of that is funny, but then it, it is interesting how this film at this point is still kind of not a horror film, it's kind of the fucking social network or any one of those like startup movies, like that new Blackberry movie where it's like, how did this startup turn into the biggest company in the world? It's Mm. kind of that. Like the beats it follows is weird. I feel like that it learned everything about business from the Chris Nolan Batman films. It's like, oh yeah, there's like a board that's up at the top of the building and then- Seems pretty straightforward. There's Lucius Fox is down the bottom of the building and that's how businesses work. Inventions, ground floor, basement, and board, top of the building. That's how businesses work. Yeah. I I also don't want to shit on Variety any more than I already have, but in this interview where they were like, you know, Megan's a gay icon, the interviewer was kind of like, did you plan on Megan being a gay icon? That's like, no, how could anybody plan on that really? And and do it and then for it to be successful. But I, I feel like I'm so not equipped to say this, but are you familiar with, um, is it uh, Susan Sontag's Notes on Camp? No, no, I am not. Go. No. So it's like, it's like this quite iconic essay and it's normally it's used in reference to when you're calling something camp. I know they had a Met Gala theme about it, 
but to like really butcher and paraphrase it, um, it's basically like doing something with like complete sincerity and being like completely genuine and then it coming off in like bad taste, that's camp. So like I think Megan what makes Megan a part of queer culture is that it's camp, is that it's like this is a completely genuine movie that is like about this doll that does this dance and like what it just becomes this cult classic and becomes camp because it's not trying to be anything. It's not trying to be a gay icon. It just has become one. There's no winks. There's no irony. There's no second level. Mm. I mean, I think they know what they're making with the movie. Like, they know that they're making something that's like, this ain't no highbrow Mm. uh, horror film. This is a romp. This is a romp. It is very much a romp. I love that. (laughs) I I also think what's, yeah, and again, so, so with that in mind, the writer sort of, Asked, like in this interview, it, it went on, and they were basically like, "The tone of this film's really weird." And Akela, the writer's like, "Yeah, like, yeah, too much." This well, they're in yeah. the the fucking the tone's yeah. really weird. Not yeah. into it. <laughs> and Akela, and, and I like, and Akela, the writer, had this really good answer where she's like, "Look, to be honest, when you write, you're not really thinking about tone. You're just thinking when you're writing your scenes, you're thinking about the characters and what they do." And I didn't direct it. <laughs> Maybe talk to the fucking director about but it. But also, it's like it's kind of like I think that kind of explains why the first fifty-five minutes of this film. Don't feel like a horror film and then something happens, Peach, and I can't wait to explain it to you because it's going to make you gag. It's so gross. But uh, Ugh, Ruby, I love you seeing your face already about that scene. <laughs> okay, so so after so, so they so they do this, they do this showcase. David's like, yes, we're gonna sell this to the board. You need to turn her into a viable, you know, we need an MVP or whatever it is, a minimal, minimum viable product. Minimum viable product, isn't it? And so after this. There's this really fucking cool montage which is played like an ad for Megan. So it's a montage of Katie and Megan getting together. It's a montage of Gemma slowly tweaking Megan. But there's this voiceover from Gemma being like, introducing Megan, the new companion for your like girl. She can do this. She can do that. So it's not like an ad that necessarily anyone would see. And it's also not necessarily just a montage. It's a, it's a combination of both. And it's such a clever way to move the plot forward. Are we sort of breaking the fourth wall a bit there and we're, and we're hearing the voiceover or, or are we saying this is the audio she's recording for it's, the board? It's not really, it's not like, it's kind of, I don't know. In fact, Ruby, that's a good question. Like, like, what do you think? I mean, I could kind of see it as like her writing this when she's pitching it, you know, like she's, She's written a script that she can pitch to the board and, you know, it's recorded over the top of this montage of tweaking and, like, obviously this is the the stage where um, Megan and Katie have to spend the most amount of time together because they have to – she has to learn. Nice. So Gemma's colleagues, Tess and Cole, and as we said before, Tess and Cole, uh, they're not even one-dimensional characters. They're just nerds who help Gemma. Can I just say Cole – is played by Brian Jordan Alvarez, who is a hugely iconic actor and he is also on TikTok and on Twitter and he makes hilarious videos. Like he, um, yeah, he's just like one of the funniest people ever, sort of like an internet micro-celebrity. And then when I found out he was in this movie, I was like, ah! 
<laughs> it's it's so amazing. You have to go look him up. He like basically just puts like wigs on and then does different um Snapchat filters and uses different accents to make these characters, but he posts endless videos with different characters and you're following like five different people's lives on his page at once. It's incredible. Amazing. So so Gemma's colleagues, Tess and Cole, as well as Katie's therapist, Lydia. So there's this, it's, it's not a big deal, but basically there's this character, Lydia, who has been has been asked by Katie's grandparents to like check on Gemma and Katie's relationship because there's some weird familial dynamics and basically this this therapist is sort of distrusting of Gemma's ability to look after a kid and rightly so. It's weird how in the film she's kind of a bad guy, but as a parent I was like, fuck yeah, Lydia. Like, Gemma isn't looking after this kid. Why aren't the grandparents looking Again, after Again, there's this, like, there's this, there, there are these bits of, and I don't know if they got cut from the script, but basically there's there's some sort of distance between the grandparents and Gemma. And Gemma has this line to Lydia where she's like, you know, if my sister wanted the grandparents to look after Katie, they would have put it in their will, but they didn't. They asked uh, for me, so that's yeah, why okay. I want to. I'm, I'm doing this to, like, honour my sister. Are you guys in anyone's will for that? Oh, we can talk about it off thing. It's pretty intense. So, so Lydia fills me with fucking anxiety. Oh I'm my god! Look I this. hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Although, in the coming climate wars, it'll be good to have like a full tribe of like able-bodied mm. kids to like backups. To, and that's yeah. probably when this episode comes out, right? So <laughs> we'll probably need to go for that community oh, raising no. kids situation. <laughs> If we have to do an update to this episode of, like, during this episode, Peach may have mentioned this. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, all right. So, basically, Tess, Cole, and Lydia are like, we think Katie's becoming too emotionally attached to Megan. And maybe it's not a good idea to have a toy that never dies because that means that, like, their emotional development will be stunted because kids need to move on from things, kids need to learn and grow, and having a toy that stays with you forever is going to stunt you, which I think is like a really cool point and a really weird point that's never really addressed after this in the film. But it's also like, great, like, why don't you join the fucking board of this toy corporation <laughs> and share more views on toys, and in the meantime, fuck off. Like, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Megan starts operating more independently and targets anything that she se- that she deems a threat to Katie. There's this annoying neighbor who has this barky dog that oh, that, yes. that at one point grabs Megan, and then when Katie tries to save Megan, bites Katie. So in the middle of the night, Megan kills her, but kills her off screen. The dog. The dogs, yeah, kills the the dogs killed off screen, right? Like I think I don't think we yeah, see but well, you got to talk dog. about it because that's the scariest one. Yes, okay, yeah, good point. So, so what she does is she uses the neighbor's voice to call the dog. Like Megan can, oh. what, what's the word? Like emulate, yeah, imitate, emulate voices, yeah. and so calls the dog and then kills the dog off screen. Yeah. Like you, you don't see it, but like yes. you hear the voice and you're like. I think I said fuck that. (laughs) Yeah, look, again, this is not the best Wikipedia synopsis. So, Ruby, I'm so glad you're here with us to help fill in these gaps. Later on, Gemma realizes, like, she still hasn't put Katie into school and so finds this alternative school, like like a wood school. Like, you know those schools where, like, they do all their learning outside in the outdoors? So she takes Katie there to learn where Katie's like, I have to bring Megan with me, like, I now have this emotional attachment with her. 
And there's this really fun scene. I, I wrote down the quote because I love it so much where Gemma is like being talked to by one of those like helicopter moms who's basically being like, oh yeah, my son is like, he's so gifted. And like, this is the only school that will like understand his his needs and his his whatever. And he's really thriving here. Isn't that right, Brandon? And then this kid turns to the mum and goes, fuck off, Holly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. But also kids aren't allowed to bring a fucking iPhone to like bring a phone to school. Like the idea of like, okay, I can't bring my phone, but can I bring my robot toy AI friend? Well, yeah, basically the teacher is like, oh, great. You put your toys over in this pile of like everybody's stuff that they're not allowed to have with them. So Megan has to go Uh, and sit like with this pile of backpacks and stuff basically while they go play. Megan probably loves that. Oh, yes. What what is also really funny, like I have friends who work for, in fact, Pete, we have a friend who works in very like experimental computing in Europe. And when Mm. they work on what they're doing, they essentially have to go into a black site where all of their stuff is taken. They go through like an airlock to go and work on this technology and then they leave because nothing can leak, right? Like, you know, in the high-end tech arms race, you lose ground to competitor and you lose billions of dollars. Meanwhile, they have a toy that's going to apparently change the world and she's just like bringing it to school. They're just like showing it off. Like, it's just everywhere. It's Doesn't doesn't she mention that she's like, oh, this is meant to be kept under wraps? Like... I, I I can't remember because I watched it a while ago, but doesn't she say something like, oh, this is, you know, super embargoed, like you can't bring it out with us. And she's like, I need to bring it. And she's like, oh, okay. Oh, well. Okay. You, you. Yeah, like that's just <laughs> yes. really weird. Isn't like, didn't she, like, isn't she under a large amount of pressure specifically about Megan? She's, she's that bad Megan. of a guardian that she's like, mm. I don't want to have to argue. But with she's you. also bad at being like a robot marketer. <laughs> like. Anyway, anyway, so. While that while they're at this yeah, camp, basically Katie finds herself isolated in the forest with Brandon around, and, and Brandon's like a little bit threatening. And then he notices that Megan in the distance watching, and he's like, "Who's that?" And Katie's like, "That's my doll." And he's like, "Are you serious? That's your doll?" It's like, "Can it talk?" And I think Katie's like, "Yeah." And so Brandon being like a gross jockey, eight-year-old or nine-year-old, however old he's supposed to be, goes over to Megan, basically like straddles, holds Megan to the ground and is like, talk. And Megan doesn't say anything. And is like basically like roughing Megan up, being like, oh, you're stupid. I don't care if you talk anyway, you dumb toy. And he goes to like hit Megan and Megan grabs his hand. And he's like, what the fuck? And Megan has some line. I don't know if you remember it exactly, Ruby. It's something like, don't you know that bad boys turn out to be bad men? Ooh, oh, yeah, it's something yes. like that. She's real. She's got she's got a real firm moral compass. That girl, you know. Yes. So, so to punish him as well, like the the idea of an AI using the word bad, I find like in and of it's just as a microcosm, quite a useful and interesting reflection thing. Of like, yeah, okay, well, what does an AI think is bad? So to punish Brandon. Megan, oh my God, like even thinking about it now, like I watched it again this morning. Megan grabs his ear and stretches it (laughs) till it comes off. Like putty. And it stretches so far before it comes off. It's not like 
it's a couple of centimeters and then it's ripped off. It, yeah, it, it's like putty. It's Ooh. the most it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so it's so ridiculous, but it's just so horrific. Like she tears this kid's ear off. This kid falls backwards. Megan does a cool like spider flip backward, like a sort of like almost like a like a you know that that dance move, the worm, where you jump onto the ground and do like a little worm mm. move. She kind of does that, but mm. in reverse to stand up mm. and says something along the lines of, "This is the part where you run." Yeah, that's what she says. <laughs> this is the part where you run. <laughs> Brandon runs through the forest. At some point in like horror language in the past sort of decade, we've realized that humans are way scarier when they run on all fours rather than run on two legs. Yes. But also, I've saw, I saw in the trailer, I don't know if it made it to the film, and I think this comes from dogs. Like the more I think about it, dogs looking quizzically at stuff. There was a very scary killer head oh, tilt. So Megan. many head tilts from Megan. Lots of head tilts. I think she said, yeah, I think it's time you run. Head, head tilt. tilt. She's so iconic. Yeah, Megan's the best. Like, I love I love Megan. <laughs> I've spent like two minutes on a trailer with her and I'm like, oh, I get so it. So, Akela, Akela talking Megan about her influences, talked about how her favourite uh, iconic horror figure was Freddy because... At the start, he's really chilling, and Robert England's portrayal is really chilling, but then he becomes funny, and after a while, you just want to see how he's going to kill people. And there's clear inspiration mm. here where it's like, how the fuck is Megan going to kill these people? And from here, here on in, it does become a horror film. Yeah. So she chases after Brandon, but then Brandon, trying to escape, runs onto a road and is hit and killed by a passing car. So technically not her fault, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yes. I'm a Megan apologist. Um, <laughs> Also, from a, you know, just uh, from, like, a am normally the peach perspective, the ear stretchy thing is hilarious, and I was not spooked by it. Yes. I was like, what the way you grossed out by it? Doesn't it gross you out? I think we all just, everybody in the cinema was like, what? <laughs> is that the, like, response that I can't quite put a name on of, like, that's like, oh, yeah, pretty much. I said, like, oh, I shit. I think we were all, like, laughing and screaming. Like, we were like, what? Yeah, like that, basically. Pe- like, people are allowed to do whatever they want with their bodies, and it's not for me to judge or whatever, but it's kind of like, you know, when you see someone who has ear expanders and they take out the earring and then all of a sudden the load's Oh, off, yeah. It's kind of like, it's that. Yep. It's it's kind of like, oh, wow, ears aren't supposed to do that. It's, it's that feeling. <laughs> all right, so... Maybe your ears aren't. Yeah. So after this, we find out that Celia, the next door neighbor, has realized that Dewey's gone and she's blaming Gemma and the girl they live with, even though she doesn't realize it's a doll for the disappearance. So Megan realizes that she has to kill uh, she has to kill Celia as well because Celia is now also a threat to Katie. Why 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 is that? Why is she a threat to so Katie? So like basically she is like banging on the door. She's like a real witch neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, what a bitch. She's just like framed as this like, like at the start of the movie, the dog is like barking and it's always like running onto the grass and she's always like, you don't touch my dog. You know, she's just like a real like crappy neighbor. And then now she's like banging on the door being like, I know you did something to my dog. Where's my dog? And so Megan is like, you're a threat because- my little girl. If I suspected someone killed my dog, I probably wouldn't use aggression. Like, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to yell at them so much. Yeah. Oh, and can I also say, um, at one mm. point, I think she does call the cops. And 
one of my favorite sort of side things about this movie is that it is filmed in New Zealand and pretty much everyone except for the core cast are New Zealand actors. And there's like this clearly like um like Maori or like Islander descent cop that turns up and does like a terrible American accent and it's hilarious. Um so it's just a nice little tidbit is that you can see all of these New Zealand actors fighting to uh, stifle their accent. Oh, so Megan decides that Celia has to go. And so yeah, we're now into horror territory where it's like, how's Megan gonna kill all these characters? This is another pretty horrific death, although apparently there's a slightly gorier, uncut version of the film that somewhere exists. They took out a bit of the gore to make this film more palatable. But, like, I, I kind of would love to see the slightly gory version. Apparently a lot of these deaths have, have more practical effects that aren't in the film. But anyway, Megan manages to coax, I think, using the dog's bark, like maybe, yeah. again, using her voice to coax nice. Celia in, into, into her shed. And at the start of the film... Celia is seen using like an in, like a high pressure insecticide hose thing. Sick, anyway, so yeah. she gets in. She gets into the shed. She's like, "Where are you, Dewey?" And it's like a it's like a dog whimper noise. Like the dog is trapped somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sort of yeah, pain. it's horrific. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we I think we talked about this before, but it's like stu- studies have shown pet ownership releases the same love chemical oxytocin in owners and pets as it does when people have kids. So like, you feel real love for this creature. So when you hear it whimper, it's a genuine, like, I need to go save it. Oh, Ruby is uh, hugging her. Uh, I got my cat here. Yeah. <laughs> is that Mr. Business, Yeah, this is Ruby? Mr. Business. He's joining in on the Zoom call because yeah. he likes to oversee Lovely. Sweet boy. Sweet boy. So, so, so she goes into the shed, doesn't find Dewey, finds Megan, who has the high-pressure hose, sprays her with it from a distance... She tries to get away. Megan grabs a nail gun, shoots the nail gun into Celia's hand, so, like, pins her to the spot. Celia's now on the ground trying to get away, trying to, like, pull her hand off the nail. Also, side bit, which I think everyone knows, but I know mainly from, you know, my partner being a nurse, is that, like, if you have something like that, you you never take the thing out until you've got medical around you. You Like, if you get stabbed, if you get whatever, you leave that thing in until you've got like medical support around you who can help with the the wound that's going to happen. But she's trying to get away. So she's trying to get this nail out of her hand. Megan just walks over to her with this high pressure hose, puts it against her face. So think about this thing and just sprays it at her face till her face basically falls off. And then we 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 cut to the drain as we watch blood go down the drain. This is... I think this is the only kill in the whole movie that I close my eyes for because I'm a huge wimp and I was friggin' spooked. I was just like, no, <laughs> this is no. horrible. But also, so, like, great inventive yeah. kill. Thank, like, it's it's this movie. This movie really has everything. I'm liking it more and more as we recap it. Um, so Gemma becomes suspicious of me. at this point. Gemma's like, okay, Megan's doing something. Attempts to check her video logs only to find the files corrupted or deleted. There's also, Megan is starting to sort of like talk back. Whereas before she was like, yes, I am a robot. Yes, you know, fulfilling role. Now is sort of conversationally talking back as you imagine or as we imagine AI is going to start to do. Yeah, like there's, um, I think the scene in one of the trailers where um, the 
the aunt is like, oh, make sure you eat your veggies, Katie. And she's like, I don't want to. And she's like, you have to eat your veggies. And then Megan goes, science says that if you force your child to eat their veggies, they will grow a distaste for them in their later life. And then she says, Megan, switch off. And she goes, I thought I was helping. And like, it's a real sassy dinner table argument. Can I can I can I add a gloss to that? Because I've just had the benefit of watching the trailer. It's like I thought we were having a conversation, and I feel like there's such a threat that like that's the AI thing of like, oh, you think I'm just a bullshit machine, and that's to, if you'll forgive the clumsy metaphor, like flicks a switch of like, oh, okay, you think I'm just some servient tool? Um, like I thought we were having a conversation between you, you know, I thought we we're having an exchange between equals, but it turns out you think. I'm just some fucking machine to be switched on and off as you will. And and my suspicion, when I think I watch Megan, spoiler watch alert, maybe I have. This is in the past. So maybe I've watched Megan before this has come but out. Fucking so much has happened in the past couple of weeks. But 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 sorry, sorry, my my potential spoiler was that it struck me that that could be the AI learning of like, ah, fuck, humans think we're just bullshit to be turned on and off. Humans don't respect us. Exactly. I think what this movie does really well as a horror film as well is it, it has two horror s- strings that are pulls, like, really well. Number one, the kills are really inventive and, like, in some cases pretty gory. But number two, the the slow tension build of Megan becoming aware is really cool. There's a scene here, it's, uh, it's not in this Wikipedia synopsis, but where at one night as as she's working at home, Gemma's, like, you know, listening to music and then Alexa's, like, or whatever the Alexa version is, is like, oh, hang on. I've got to let the dog in. Give me one second. Let the dog in. Gotta let the dog mm. in. Mm. Yeah, the dog whimpers were terrifying. That was the signifier for me. Like, um, So, so oh, there's, this, there's this really cool moment where Alexa's basically like, the, the Alexa version of her is basically like, Gemma, do you mind if I put on your nighttime playlist? And Gemma immediately goes, hang on, Alexa, why are you asking my permission? That's not how you work at all as a program. And then she puts her laptop down and realizes Megan's there. And at that point, we realize not only is Megan starting to learn, but that she can control other things or has infiltrated like the home, sort of like the smart home network, which I think is really fucking cool. Anyway. Oh, and so what she's like, oh, I thought we had to ask permission for everything now. Yeah. So I was. Yeah. She had to, yeah, she can yeah, like so emulate Alexa. the Alexa voice now and she's in the Alexa system and yeah. Nice. So Gemma is like powers Megan off and brings her to the lab where she, Tess and Cole attempt to fix her. Katie becomes distraught when separated from Megan and slaps Gemma. Gemma apologizes for her inattentiveness and tells Katie that Megan is only a distraction that helps her cope with her loss, shouldn't be the solution, and is now realizing Megan's a bad idea. But she doesn't have much time because they have their big investor showcase where they show Megan with Katie. And this is where like the Megan film and her icon status goes up another level because Megan and Katie have this moment where it's another, you know, behind a like two-way glass thing where all these investors two-way glass kind of thing and it's or one-way one-way glass yeah and it's supposed to be that it's supposed to be that you know again that moment where they have an interaction but immediately katie starts crying and this is totally unscripted and so megan and and katie starts crying because she's like this is all too much like 
I'm living in this place. I don't know. Like I'm being asked to be in this fucking product demo. Like I don't know how to deal with any of this. And first of all, we realize that Megan can sing to her. So she's got, so Megan, the actual character is played by a, a woman who can dance. Like the person who plays her body can dance, but the person who plays her voice can sing. So she's a double threat. Like she can, she can dance really well, yes. but she can also sing really well. And I think she sings, I don't know why this is the second appearance of Sia in a couple of weeks in this podcast, but I'm pretty sure at one point, maybe at this point or some point, she sings like that Sia and David Guetta song, Titanium. There's literally no way I could have guessed that she was going to open up her mouth and sing Sia and David Guetta's <laughs> Titanium in like in like a somber a cappella way where it's like, I'm bulletproof. Nothing to lose, like, and <laughs> that's when our very yeah. empty cinema of like four groups of gays all started singing in unison. Like, we all just like snapped right into it, and it became a sing along in the cinema. So, the board is like, "This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to the world. We need to release Megan straight away. You've now become the most valuable person in the company, Gemma." But Gemma, at the same time is like, fuck, Megan is a mistake and I need to shut her down. So recognizing the risk she poses, Gemma, Tess and Cole decide to terminate Megan. Tess and Cole attempt to shut Megan down while Gemma takes Katie home. So, so Megan is at the lab, like sort of strung up again. Gemma and Katie have gone home. Megan activates on her own. So now she's gained pretty much full sentience and manages to almost hang Cole. Like, so grabs, grabs some of the cables in the thing, pulls Cole up and, like, manages to almost hang him. Tess saves Cole, but Megan causes an explosion in their lab, killing them both. Before exiting the building, Megan starts stalking the halls. And this is where the death, like, this is this scene is, like, weird. It's, like, cool and scary at the same time. Like, this scene where she kills David, the boss, how were you feeling during this scene? Because it's both... I think this is a really Elated. iconic scene. Yeah, yeah. I think like it's it's this is where it kind of stops being a horror movie and starts being just like iconic and ridiculous and hilarious. Like it's kind of I would say this scene is like a nod to The Shining. Yes, 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 hugely. Um, because it's basically like him running. Oh wait, did we talk about the elevator scene? No. Tell me. We, we need to talk about that now. So, so you're right. Like it's it's long. It's her walking along these hallways. They're, they're again. It's not in this Wikipedia synopsis, but basically they were supposed to do a live stream of Megan to the world. But Gemma's decided they need to terminate Megan. So David, the boss, is like calling Gemma. Where the fuck are you? Where's Megan? I'm supposed to do this call. He's in these like hallways of this like you know the upper echelons of this like building. All of a sudden, Megan comes around the corner, and. David's like, what the fuck? And Megan starts doing this dance. Yes. And, and like, it's, it is like a cool, da- like, it's, it's, it's like, I think all contemporary dancers have this weird, like, sort of like sexualized tinge to them. It's very like. Well, it just shows how, how not robotic she is because like, there's so much fluid moment, movement in it. She then does these like two forward flips towards David. David at this point realizes that Megan's like a little bit threatening. There's a photocopier right next to her. And next to the photocopier is one of those, you know, those office guillotines? Yes. Like, do they freak you out a bit? Do you always think, fuck, I could just lose a finger so easily? On my They're always rusty. Always. Yes. Uh, so she just takes the blade off that 
and it's now her makeshift machete, which I'm just like, genius. Genius. Of course that should be a horror film weapon. She starts stalking David through the hallway. David makes his way to the lift where his assistant, again, not in this Wikipedia synopsis, but he has an assistant who David doesn't treat very well, so has been secretly stealing company secrets. It's, it's only important for this death because David runs for the lift. The assistant is, it, is like pressing the close button doors. So he's like, no, I don't want to save you. I don't like, uh, you don't respect me. David puts his hands mm. in, starts to open the doors, but then Megan makes it, gets behind her, stabs him right in the back. He falls down. She pulls out her makeshift machete, which is now covered in blood. The assistant is like cowering on the ground and is like so fearful for his life. And he's like, how, how can you just kill people? I don't understand. And she's like, oh, I didn't kill anybody. You killed him. You have been stealing secrets and he found out and he got really upset. But you haven't been treated so well and that just pushed you over the edge. So you snapped and so you killed him and then you killed yourself. And so she kills him, oh. stages it as murder-suicide. Amazing. There's this live stream about to begin on the ground floor that this lift is going towards. The doors open, two dead bodies in there, David and his assistant, all of these like, like kids who were there to see this toy live stream start screaming. It causes panic. And so Megan is able to just walk straight out the door without anybody noticing, walks down the street oh. to where David's sports car is. Of course, everything is now like, you know, like remote operated. So she's able to just open the car itself and nothing has keys anymore. So she's able to just turn the car on and she drives back home. She can drive iconic. So Megan confronts yes. Gemma at home. I think this is the point where Gemma, or maybe Gemma, hears the piano playing in her house and it's Megan playing toy soldiers like brick by brick. Da, 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 like, Oh, and amazing. another iconic insert of music for no yeah, reason. Such a good piece. And again, like the, all the strands of this film come come together so well because Megan's basically like, "Look, my whole role was always to like bond and protect you, bond with and protect Katie. It's really clear you don't want to be her guardian, so just let me be her guardian. Like it makes perfect sense." And Gemma's like, "No, there's something wrong. We need to kill you." And Megan's like, "Well." Like, I'm now my own primary user, so I'm going to kill you. So they start to have a fight. And uh, something that it happens in that initial montage where she, you know, she sells the idea of Megan is, and I think what's clever about Megan beyond something like Chucky is they're like, they're like, Megan is built with a titanium body so she can withstand whatever life throws at us. Number one, that makes it awesome that she sings titanium because she literally is titanium. But number two, it's like, okay, so she's actually like a force to be reckoned with. She's not like a doll you can just pick up by the head and like throw away. Like she's actually like a killing machine. Well, yeah, like she passes the Chucky test of why don't you just put him in a box and put a brick on top That's actually crazy that you have explained why they chose titanium because I just thought I was like somebody in the sound department was like, you know what will be the funniest thing ever is if she sings a Sia song in this emotional part of the movie. (laughs) All right. So Gemma attempts to stop Megan damaging and disfiguring her in the process. Her voice stops being like a little girl's voice. It starts being a, I am a robot voice monotone and as well as that, the skin starts coming off, her face and her hair starts coming off. So she becomes this like scary skeleton robot. Like it's the degradation. Late Terminator, Terminator film. Exactly. Phase. Yeah, I'm with it. 
It's exactly. It's so good. It's so chilling. Megan obviously overpowers Gemma. I think he's strangling her. But then Katie steps in and she's like, you forgot there's another member of the family. Megan's like, who? Oh, Bruce. Yes. And so Katie grabs the gloves, punches together, punch, punch. And Bruce comes to life. And now it's Bruce versus Megan. And Bruce just grabs Katie by the head. And it's just like, whack, whack, whack. <laughs> like, like, you know, like a rag doll or something. Basically, like, gets to the point where it manages to tear Megan apart. But Megan's top half remains active and attacks Katie. Gemma exposes the processing chip in Megan's head. Uh... Megan now doesn't have a face, which makes her even scarier. Because she's just this, like, faceless automaton like faceless legless automaton trying to kill this kid katie manages to grab a screwdriver and yanks the processing chip free seemingly destroying megan seemingly as the clearly new zealand cops show up and there's (laughs) sirens and you know everyone is comforted and you know it seems like everything's over Gemma's ai home device turns itself on and a camera looks towards them. M. Tugan. Which sets us up for M. Tugan. Yeah, what are they? They've already done M. M3M, you know, me, Thregan. What can they do? I know. <laughs> but yeah, so it's going to be me, Thregan 2.0. I've got to say, Ruby, recapping this with you has made me love it so much more. Yes. Peach, what did you think of me, Thregan? Uh, I'm delighted to have Ruby sort of hold my hand across the across the um, yeah, Rainbow Bridge. This kind of feels, you know, this kind of feels like one, like, I mean, I think it counts as horror. Like, it is sort of my one question due to its gore level, due to the spook out ending, due to the don't worry, Megan's still alive ending. So combine the gore with the Megan's still alive ending, I think it counts as horror. I think it counts as grown-up well, horror. Yeah, I feel like it kind of has almost like an 80s horror vibe to it of like they can't actually show you anything too horrific. And like, yeah, Shag was saying that they maybe had a gorier cut, but I was watching it, especially with the ear bit and like the dog being killed off off um, off screen. It's almost kid horror. I mean, it's scary, but like if, if gore is the thing that you're really worried about, pretty much the – the power hose scene is the only thing that I didn't watch. Yeah, okay. Like, I, I mean, it just seemed seemed great to me. And in this, you know, in this world where we've now finally crowned the Matildas world champions, having won the World Cup, our favourite team forever, past, present, future, um, I think, Megan, we can also crown as my favourite movie and the yeah! best one we've ever done on Spooker. It's the best. I'm, I'm so, uh, yeah, like this is actually such a good film. And yeah, like I said, Megan, you made me love it so much more. Thank you. Megan, for your you call me Megan. Insight. Oh my God, Megan. Ruby. Oh, Jesus. Uh, thank you. You're giving I real Megan energy, Ruby and Fanny. <laughs> Ruby, thank you so much uh, for people who are discovering the icon that is Ruby Miles. Where can we find you yes. on the web? Um, You can find me. I'm on Instagram, Ruby Riles, the Spoonerism. Um, shout outs to that. You can also listen to me on FBI Radio with another friend of the pod, Al Grigg. Another another really? regular guest and the um does he still do the this podcast contains thing at the start? Yeah. Yeah. You better fucking believe it. In fact, yeah, that's a really good point. If you if you haven't picked it up, that's Al Grigg's voice doing the disclaimer at the start of this pod. Yeah, so listen to our show. We do Friday Arvos. I don't know what uh, time zone it is where you are, but you can listen to it online. 
And and if you are in America, Arvo's means afternoon. <laughs> Matilda's blah blah blah. This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?